Hi there, my name is Ruth Farrell, and amongst other things, I am the lead pastor at St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois. This is filled with messages, and I'm so grateful you're joining me today. Throughout the Bible, God encourages people to try new things. You may remember a story in which Jesus, God himself, tried something new when he performed his first miracle and turned water into really good wine. Not only does God invite us to try new things, God also invites us to see the world in new ways. Indeed, one of the primary reasons Jesus was sent here to earth by God was to help us see things in new ways. You may remember a story about Jesus preaching in his hometown synagogue when he invited people to see that his mission here on earth was to share good news, hope, healing, first to people who were suffering, and then also with everyone else in all of God's creation. The people in the synagogue that day, Jesus' extended family, neighbors, and friends, were so mad at him for wanting to help those who were suffering first. In other words, they were so mad at him for asking them to think about the world in a new way that they attempted to murder him. Again, in today's scripture passage, Jesus invites people this time not just people in his hometown, but a whole lot of people from all over the place, to join him in seeing the world in a new way. He shares the good news with everyone that God is bringing hope, joy, healing, first to those who need help the most. He also invites people to notice any privilege they may have, and instead of wielding it, to check it and to reorder their priorities So they are working with God to make earth a little more like heaven every day, a place where everyone has enough, where everyone experiences wholeness, and where everyone is treated with love, respect, and care. Hear these words from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Sidon and Tyre, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds and our bodies to hear you speaking words of hope and love and joy to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
In the pages of scripture, you'll often find God offering people a choice. See the world through your old lenses, which are scratched up and aren't your current prescription, or put on new lenses, which will take some getting used to, but help you see things more clearly. For instance, in Deuteronomy, God says it this way, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity or death and adversity. The psalmist explains it this way, Blessed are those who do X, Y, Z, the wicked aren't so. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way, Cursed are those who do da-da-da-da-da, and blessed are those who do da-da-da-da. When Jesus gave his own compare and contrast list, the blessings and woes he talked about in today's scripture text, he was using this very common scripture trope. The people listening to him that day would have picked up what he was putting down. They were used to God inviting them to choose the red pill or the blue pill. The people gathered around Jesus that day were from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. We're not exactly sure where Jesus was when he preached this sermon, but let's take an educated guess and place him near Capernaum. The walk from Sidon, the farthest place north in the list of places people came from to see Jesus. So the walk from Sidon to Capernaum takes about 28 hours. And the walk from Jerusalem, the farthest place south on Luke's list, to Capernaum takes 35 hours. And I figured out those times through Google Maps, which gives the walker the benefit of modern roads, which people in Jesus' day definitely didn't have. People were so eager to see Jesus, they were willing to go to great lengths and take great risks to do so. Traveling in those days was dangerous and expensive. The crowds were very eager to see Jesus so they could hear him teach and be healed of their diseases. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. We still want to see Jesus so we can hear him share with us the best ways to live and be healed of our pain, suffering, diseases, physical, social, emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges. Jesus didn't sit from on high teaching and healing while looking down on everyone. He came right down into the thick of them, right down into their smelliness, because let's face it, most humans smell, and their sticky fingers. He looked into their eyes, wept in empathy with their pain, rejoiced in the sound of their voices, exclaiming their delight in being healed, laughed at their silly jokes, hugged the little children. Amongst the crowd were Jesus's disciples. People who had experienced his love and power before this moment had had begun traveling around the Judean countryside with him. The word disciple derives from a Latin word. I'm not a Latin scholar, so I'm going to skip pronouncing it, but it means to learn. One contemporary Christian author takes great delight in knowing the word disciple means to learn. She wrote, we're learners. We're all in process, all just partway through our studies, all nowhere near the completion of our equations. And it gives me no small amount of comfort to witness how patient Jesus was with his hapless disciples. Thomas, who doubted, and Nathaniel, who was sharp-tongued, fickle Peter, and finance-challenged Philip called to be learners at the feet of the master teacher, slowly beginning to understand exactly what the life of faith means. As Jesus loved on people in the crowd, as he taught them the best ways to live, as he healed their diseases, 
he realized it was a teachable moment for his learners, his disciples. So he looked at them and began to teach them. And quite frankly, everyone else gathered that day too, as they were all within earshot. Jesus shared four blessings and four woes, setting them up in the familiar symmetrical contrast style of scripture. Poor, rich, hungry, well-fed, weeping, laughing, hated, excluded, insulted, rejected, spoken well of by everyone. When we hear this list of blessing and woes, it can feel a little like God wants us to be miserable. If those who are suffering are blessed and those who are experiencing all the good things of life are being told, whoa, does that mean God enjoys it when we suffer? No. No good parent, and God is the perfect parent, wants their beloved child to suffer. Here's how one commentator explains what's going on with the blessings and woes. These aren't ethical recommendations, as if Jesus is saying, go and become hungry, poor, sad, and outcast. On the contrary, Jesus is drawing a map of blessing and woe, an orientation to how the world, both the world today and the world to come, actually works despite appearances. It's as if he's saying, let me give you a lay of the land. As you look around, it looks like the rich, well-fed, happy, and admired have made it, that God's blessings belong to them, and that the rest of us, the poor, hungry, sad, and excluded, are left out in the cold, as if God's forgotten us. But I've come to tell you that the opposite is true. The dawning kingdom of God belongs to you, the poor, the hungry, the sad, the excluded. When heaven comes to earth, as it has now begun to come, you will have the places of highest honor. And the rich? Woe to you who are rich, well-fed, happy, or admired. For the comforts you enjoy today will be, for you, as good as it gets. That still doesn't feel like good news to those of us who are rich, at least relatively so, well-fed, full of laughter, and admired, again, at least relatively so. It feels like Jesus is cursing those of us with privilege, telling us we're outside of God's kingdom. Perhaps it helps if we use a homonym for woe. Woe, W-H-O-A. I think the homonym helps us understand Jesus's intent. When we have privilege, plenty of money, consistently full bellies, happiness, respect, we need to pump the brakes on our egos. We need to learn to tell ourselves, whoa, often, because privilege tends to blind us. It tends to lull us into thinking our own needs and the needs of others with privilege before making sure that those who are poor, hungry, weeping, hated, are being helped, loved, treasured, cared for. Jesus isn't saying we're bad if we have privilege. He's just inviting it to check it, to say woe to it before it has us expecting we are entitled to more than anything else. Jesus is reminding us that our hearts should break with God's when we see people suffering, and that if we want heaven to come here to earth, that we should be trying to bless those who are experiencing pain just as God is. Earlier I read a quote about what it means to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus. The last sentence read, 
we're called to be learners at the feet of the master teacher, slowly beginning to understand exactly what the life of faith means. Perhaps that's the basic message behind Jesus's blessings and woes. Instead of reacting negatively to them or trying to figure out which list we belong on, perhaps we could simply listen to Jesus and be open to learning from him. Honestly, most of us have a foot in both the blessings and the woes camps. We are both in pain right now, waiting for God's blessings to lift us out of our suffering. And we have some privilege around which we need to learn to say, whoa. So may we listen to the voice of the master teacher, standing right in the thick of our lives, promising blessings, healing and hope to our deepest pain. May we believe with all our beings that pain is not what God wants for us. The pain will not be the end of our story. And may we also hear the master teacher urging caution, saying woe to our privilege, to the places where we are tempted to put our wants before others' needs, to the places where we are tempted to get in Jesus's way of bringing good news to those who need to be freed from whatever is enslaving them. Thanks for joining me today, my friends. The quote about learning from the master teacher is from Rachel Held Evans's Wholehearted Faith, which I wholeheartedly recommend. And I'm also grateful to the SALT Project for all of their work and their commentary, from which I also quoted today. As you go from here, may you feel God's blessings bringing hope and healing to your deepest sources of pain. And may you also listen to the Holy Spirit when she says, whoa, when she encourages to watch out for your privilege. God's blessings be upon you and God's peace and grace guide you. Talk to you soon, my dear friends. Goodbye.